So like Susan, I think that's what it's called. Um, and you have to want to speak about mindset. That's why I'm doing this. Um, meaning like this. Um, this, this, this really not so much about Matza. Um, I'm gonna mention, I mean, I'm gonna mention Matza a lot, but not really give you a lot of the symbolism or meaning behind it. Um, when Yaf asked me to go about two years ago, I said, oh, I have a chapter in one of my books about Matza. So that's what I'm gonna speak about. So that's what I'm gonna speak about today also. Um, I brought the books in case people are so amazed they have to have an actual written copy of it. Uh, you're welcome to purchase at the end. I'll, I'll mention more about that. Um, but the, the, the real topic is learning from God. Like the, <laughs> that seems like an obvious thing. But the way God orchestrates and organizes his Torah as a model for how we should organize our lives and specifically our memory, um, which shapes a lot of who we are. So that's that's the topic. You know, if anybody objects, you can leave now. And you're full warned that that's um, you know, if you want to get all the details about Mata, that's not going to be it. I will mention it in passing, and um, I'll even try to flag it so that it's, it's going to be very quick in between things. Um, Hill. Selectivity. Um, I'm looking at cameras. Okay, it's good. Yeah, maybe it's good. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to say um, a camera is a good metaphor for um, what we're talking about in terms of focus, right? Camera that has focus. Human beings are like cameras that have focus capability, right? Um, everybody understand what I mean by that? I still use focuses. And with phones, it's all automatic, so we don't think about that. But way in the day, um, anybody who's familiar with photography knows that um, with a fancier camera, so you can choose where your focus is. You want to focus far away, you want to focus close. And that means that the rest of the details in picture will be more blurred, right? So um, part of focusing on something is blurring out what's around it, okay? And the Torah does that, so does that, um, humans do that, and that's no coincidence because the Torah is written for humans. The rabbis say in a couple of places that's written in, in the language of humans. Um, and one of the things that humans do, which is not so scientific and objective, is to focus, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about, the focus on matzah in the story of Pesach. What's that? What's, what's that all about? So um, the thing that I do here in Gresh Rachel and on my own, which is why I write books and articles and things about it, is it's parshanut, meaning looking carefully at the Torah text and as have Jews for thousands of years, trying to understand its messages to me and to us um, based on, on a close reading. So it creates certain patterns and ostensibly things that look like mistakes to get our attention. 
and to get us to go further than just reading words and sort of think and pause and think, what does God want me to learn from this? Okay, and each generation, I, I think, has its own lessons. That's what people are constantly interpreting and reinterpreting it, um, hopefully based on similar or the same issues, but not necessarily with the same answers. Right, we had three answers the other day in class, one, one, one issue, there you go, okay. That's, a, that's an important thing to have very, to understand that the Torah has more than one way of understanding its meaning. Okay. So we have a quick exercise of reading Fupsukim. And I'm going to ask you to follow along, but look for patterns, look for things that are strange, look for things that seem emphasized. The Torah is like yelling out at you to. Notice me, okay? So we're, I'm looking at Perak Bet, chapter 12 in Shemot. And um, ideally I would go from the beginning of the chapter, but what we're gonna really, we're gonna start from Pasuk Yudal and go through Pasuk Chaf, at seven Sukim, 14 to 20. Perak Bet, yeah. Um, starting with Pasuk Yudal. Okay, and there's a shift from Pasuk Yudal to Pasuk Yudal when the middle of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the story of the Jews being liberated from Egypt, and God is telling them, okay, this is the final details, final details primarily to get a goat, right? Take your, you know, kill it, take the, the blood and put it in your doorpost and then pass over, okay? And then you're gonna leave, right? Um, but, um, he doesn't. He, he doesn't really. Um, he doesn't get to the leaving. That's that's. I mean, the Jews already know they're leaving, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so it's not important. And then God, in His words to Moshe, transitions to the celebration of Pesach in the future. Okay, so that's where we are. Um, try to pay attention to the details, the patterns, the 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 um, feel of this section. Okay. Okay. So, um, it, incidentally, it doesn't really say which day it is, but commentaries understand based on context, etc. That we're speaking about Pesach. Okay. So this day, meaning Pesach, will be for you a zikaron, zikaron of memory. We'll uh, speak about that word a little more later. Um, and you'll celebrate it as a, a celebration uh, for God, for your generations. It's an everlasting um, folk that you will celebrate it, ex- everlasting statutes. Shivat yamim matzot ochel ach b'yom ha'gishon, tashbitu se'or v'atichem, kol ochel chamet v'nechata nefesha hi, mi'israel mi'yom ha'gishon v'ad yom ha'shevi'i. Right, seven days you will eat matzot. However, on the first day you will destroy the leaven from your homes because anybody who eats leavened bread will be cut, that, that soul will be cut off from Israel, from the Jewish people, from the first day to the seventh day. Okay, 
לכל נפש ולבדו יעשה לכם. So on the first day is a holy convocation, on the seventh day is a holy convocation, which it shall be for you. All work you should not do. Um, however, that which you need to eat for your soul, that alone you will do for yourself. And you will guard or observe the matzot because on this day, um, he, I'm sorry, I took you out. I took out your armies, your hosts from the land of Egypt. And you will guard this day for your generations as an everlasting statute. On the first day, uh, in the 14th, on the first, which is the 14th day of the month, at night, you'll eat matzot until the 21st day of the month at night. Seven days, um, leaven should not be found in your home because anybody who eats that which is uh, leavened shall be cut off, that soul shall be cut off from the community of Israel, both by the stranger as well as the citizen in the land. Um, anything that's leavened, you should not eat. In all of your dwellings, you should eat matzot. Okay, and that's, that's it. That's the end of the section. Um, the Torah continues now. Uh, Moshe calls the Jewish people, tells them what they have to do. Um, and he speaks a little bit more about Pesach, not too much, and Kabul Sukim, uh, primarily focusing on details that God doesn't tell him here. But we'll put that aside and bracket that. What, um, what did you notice in the section? Yeah, go ahead. Excellent. That's the one I least expected you to, to find, but yeah. Okay, what else? Someone else, give, give someone else a chance. <laughs> you're good, you're great. But you, you, I want to just get other, other people a chance. Anybody Punishment. else? Sorry? Punishment, Punishment of Karet, okay. And what else? Matzah is repeated four times and the section. What else is repeated? Natit Hamid, right? Natit Hamid. Okay, so those are, those are the four. Uh, things that are stressed. And when I use the word stress, I really mean stress, right? There, there's, there's an emphatic tone. I don't know if you notice the tone of, of you know, I mean, it's God like saying this is really super important. Um, as we'll see, this is not the normal um, sort of halachic situation going on. 
So we can get back to Matzot, um, but there's certain things that I want you to know that you might not know just from reading this section of, uh, of Tanakh. And that's the placement. Number one is the placement of this type of, um, of section in Torah. Right here's what we call a, a legal section. Right, the two basic uh, types of writing in Torah, not the general sort of three, but two major ones. One is legal. What's the other one? Uh, legal meaning laws. What's the uh, what's the other? Sorry, I don't know. False speech. Uh, literary. Literary meaning. Stories. Stories. Good. Okay. There's a fancier word. Not a fancier word. Uh, yeah, in, in Hebrew, that's a fancy word. It's not really a gadata technically, it's a gadata later, but it, it's called in English it's called narrative. Okay, so the narrative section is a legal section. And um, for example, if I would ask you about Sefer Brave Sheet, where would you put that? Is it legal yeah. narrative? Yeah. Right, narrative. If you go to the Sefer Achinoch, there's like Sefer Achinoch ties mitzvot to Parsha Shavua. Right, Breshit is about, you know, it's like two pages. I mean, Sefer Breshit is about two, but not a lot of mitzvot in Sefer Breshit, right? Um, what about Sefer Vayikra? What is that? Legal, good, excellent, right? There's a couple of tiny stories, the opposite. You have to really look for the story. Two tiny stories tucked in, right? Anybody want to know? Trivia quiz, not that one of you is one, but the other one you're not going to guess. I should have let you. Get the other one. That, that is, is a guy who curses in the camp, right? Sorry? Films in Bamidbar. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of Bamidbar, Bamidbar is generally what? No, no. Is that narrative or legal? <laughs> it's generally narrative. Okay. So if you notice what I'm getting at, there's a problem here. It's the problem that I'm getting at. We have legal within the narrative. It bifurcates it. Yeah, excellent. Very good. Okay, did we hear what Andy said? Say it again. We have legal within the narrative. Right. Okay. Holidays. Where are holidays found? So that's really trivial. I don't expect anybody. Uh, this sort of like FFB stuff that you have to come to Shul every Shabbos to know. Um, so Parsha Pinchas, for example, you have uh, it's one of the sections. Um, you know, you say, well, Pinchas is also narrative. Fine. But um, the, the, the other holidays besides Pesach are, including Pesach, um, are given over in um, legal sections of the Torah, right? Halakha in general has its own section. Sefer Vietra, for example, as we mentioned, parts of Sefer Vimidvar, parts of Sefer Dvarim, most of Sefer Dvarim, I would say. That half and half, whatever. Dvarim is a funny book, another, another class. Um, but anyways, holidays aren't mentioned in the middle of the story. Sukkot is also part of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? When the Jews are going through the desert, um, that's what we're supposed to remember on Sukkot. But the Torah doesn't stop in the middle of the story and say, oh, by the way, when you're going to be in Israel, you're going to celebrate and commemorate what you're doing now, that you're sitting in Sukkot in the desert. You're going to have this, this halacha and that halacha and let's go on with the story. The Torah doesn't do that. So this is another anomaly, right? Setting up, right? 
um, a, a sense that the Torah you know, can't wait to tell us these laws. It has to do it here and there, combined with um, what we said about this sort of um, tense sort of presentation, Olam, Karet, right? And repeating things over and over for stress, the Torah is trying to, um, trying to do something specific. Now, um, we're gonna focus primarily on matzot and we're gonna focus a little bit on halakot that are connected to matzot that are also anomalous, meaning strange, unusual. Um, before we do that, I wanna focus on one word that I mentioned before, the word zikaron, okay? Zikaron translated as memory, the day is gonna be a memory, okay? Um, which already is strange, but if you understand what zikaron means in, at least in the Torah, presumably in all Tanakh, but certainly in the Torah, you'll see that's actually even stranger and may set us on the road to understanding what's going on with matzah and comments as far as the Torah is concerned and the Torah's desperation to get us to do it. Zikaron, um, anybody know any, anywhere else where Zikaron is mentioned? Yeah. Sorry? In the Zecher is mentioned, score, but not Zikaron. Sorry? In Kiddush Zecher, same thing, Zikaron, right, um, is a noun, obviously, based on the roots, the score to remember, but zikaron, right? Even in modern Hebrew is memory. In fact, computer memory is called zikaron. Right? How much zikaron does your computer have? Um, zikaron in, in, in the Torah is something that reminds you. I would translate it as a memory device. Okay, the memory device. Tefillin is described as zikaron. Right, so that, that, I think that sets the idea. I was, um, the the feeling are not a memory. In fact, what are they supposed to remind you of? And you know, supposed to remind you of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Okay, it's a zikaron, right? It's a device that's supposed to help you remember uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So, the question is, how does the day become a zikaron? Right, you, we think of of zikron, like filling an object, right? With a memory device should be something that you see and moves your memory a day, right? On some level is not that at all. It's really a measurement of time, which on some level is really artificial. What makes one day different than another day, right? So the Torah is trying to do something very revolutionary. I think you have to do a little bit of that ancient history. I, I don't know a lot, but I know enough that I think what I say is correct. Um, so I've seen other people say books, uh, that must make it correct. Um, so um, the idea of a holiday that celebrates the historical event was not something that existed, um, certainly not common before Pesach. Okay? I mean, you think about it. Right, what, what did people celebrate? What's the most natural thing to celebrate? There's remnants of that in Torah as well. Well, good, natural occurrences specifically. Yeah, but, but th th what are you gonna celebrate? What are you gonna celebrate? Uh, yeah, see, yeah, you're gonna do that, but you're not enthused about this season. I mean, spring is nice, but. <laughs> 
Yeah, good, good, good. You have to think uh, like like a, we we we're too used to having food so readily available. Yeah. We don't think about it, right? You go to the supermarket and it's there, right? For most of history, most people, um, you know, worry about food, and a big crop is tremendous blessing, and a poor crop is a real problem. Okay, so when the so Sukkot in that sense is sort of a natural holiday. It doesn't have to be sold to the Jews because it's Hagasif. Besides being historical event, it's also Hagasif. We're really happy. We've just brought in all our grapes, right? Our, our figs, our, our uh, dates, and we have food for the, for the year, right? This is great, olives. Um, so this is, uh, this is not something that has to be sold. That's what everybody did. The other thing that people celebrated uh, was, I mean, you're right, sometimes there's birthdays, but generally not. You know, those, those kings and people who, you know, didn't have anything to do but celebrate and look for reasons to aggrandize themselves. Most people didn't celebrate birthdays. Um, the other thing they celebrated, they might have celebrated an event like it's in Mitzrayim, right? A liberation, um, a victorious war. But how many years do you think they would celebrate that? So, living memory. So, so the answer is they would celebrate it, they would celebrate it when it happened. Right? Think of I don't know how many people have you know gone through a graduation ceremony, right? Uh, you have so it's nice and you celebrate it and you move on with your life, right? It's not something that you remember. What's the point of remembering? Okay, I graduated, I was liberated, etc. So what? What does that have to do with me now? Right. The idea of a historical commemoration, celebrating historical commemoration, simply didn't come up. It wasn't something that, you know, you know, for things to make sense, someone has to suggest them, and people would say, "Well, that's a good idea," right? If anybody had suggested, people would say, "You're you're you're an idiot. You're an idiot. What are you talking about? Like, why should I celebrate my liberation a year from now? What does that have to do with anything?" Um, so I think um, that helps us understand. The Torah's desperation, um, desperation may not be the, the best word, but the Torah's need to stress, you really have to celebrate this. You really have to commemorate this. You really have to remember this. Yeah. Um, so you said earlier that the word Yisraelim, like the memory device, yeah. is only ever used referring to Shabbat? Uh -uh. Oh, yes, yes, it's Ryan, rather, sorry. It's only ever used. No, but it's, it's the... Um, it's the only day it's referred to in that way, right? Mm -hmm. That's the Karon. That's like, a couple times, not a lot, not a lot, yeah. But it's the only place it's mentioned for a day. Um, and specifically in this context of matzah and chametz and chukat olam. Okay, so now um, there are two other things I want to let you know about matzah before we go on. Uh, actually, there's three. The, the first, one, first one is by way of introduction to specific things. Um, my suggestion is, is the Torah used use matzah as the central prop, not as the memory device, but that which was the central prop in Pesach day for us to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. In other words, the Torah 
has an issue. How, okay, so it's one thing to tell them to threaten them and say, you guys better do this or you're going to be cut off. Right, you guys, um, you know, this is, this is really important. It's a chukat olam. The Torah also has to give some sort of positive, uh, positive way to get to uh, send this message across the Jewish people, right? In a way that's going to be not just because we're threatened by God, because that doesn't always work, but something that comes natural. Yeah, we're, we're excited about Pesach. We want to celebrate Pesach. So today, the case, but it didn't start that way because people say, "What's Pesach? What does that mean?" Right? Uh, what does it mean to commemorate a day as a memory device of a historical event? Explain. So it's not enough. Explanation is not enough. What's needed is a strategy. And what I want to say is that matzah is at the center of that strategy. Before I get to what I mean by that, <clears throat> my two other points about the unusual nature of matzah, just to reinforce the idea that the Torah is really doing some unusual things here, right? So that you see that there's really something going on, not just making it up. Um, I, I think I, um, the, the first thing is, um, do we know of any other positive commandment where the, um, the inverse is prohibited? I'll give you an example, shofar. Is it forbidden from the Torah to use any other instrument that day? No, yeah. no, oh. from the Torah. Terabonim, this is a, side, a technical side reasons because they were afraid people, the rabbi said people were gonna fix instruments so we don't use them. Uh, but for, as far as the Torah is concerned, we can play instruments on Shabbat, okay? Um, right, so that's when, when, it, when uh, there are some, fuzzy examples like sukkah, sleep outside of the sukkah. But by and large, when Torah commands something, uh, it almost never says, but don't do the opposite, right? I think Shofar is a good example of that. Here, right, the real issue seems to be that we eat matzah. And on Pesach Sheni, right, you're allowed to eat chametz, right? So in other words, one doesn't automatically come with the other, right? Those those who need to celebrate Pesach Shinim, speaking as far as the Torah is concerned, you miss the first celebration of Pesach, right? So you bring a sacrifice for Pesach. A month later, you eat matzah with the korban, and you're allowed to eat chametz. The two don't have to go together, right? The fact that the Torah not only creates this new provision that is unparalleled um, and makes it particularly stringent is um, the combination, as far as I know, is um, unparalleled. The stringency being correct, right? What sort of things do we have correct for? Yeah. The good, right? Yeah. Shabbat, right? Any, right? Okay, good. Okay, you know a bunch of correct. Uh, sorry, going to some out. Um, anything connected with Yom Tov? Anything connected with eating? Kippur, okay, that's true. That's true. But generally speaking, sorry, comments, yeah, 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 comments is, is, is what we're talking about, right? So this is, this whole parsha, both in terms of reading it in, in Tanakh and Kumash, 
as well as halachot say, are screaming out, I'm different, notice me. Okay, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to notice what, uh, what does God want from us with this Hamet and Matzah in particular, more than Hamet, because my sense is that Hamet is just a way of getting us to focus on Matzah and nothing more than that. Right, granted there's also symbolism, et cetera, et cetera, and very stringent, but the way I'm understanding it is the prohibition of Hamet is just really a way to get us to focus on Matzah. Remember what we spoke about before, the camera, that focuses on one object needs to blur other objects. Okay, so the, I'm suggesting that the comment is the blurring and the focus is really on the matzah. Now, why matzah? Um, so two reasons, and this is the, the, you know, if you're really interested in the, in the idea of matzah, this is time to really listen. Um, so number one, it's connected to the actual events, right? So Today, now that you know, other nations decided, wow, these Jews have a good idea, let's make historical holidays also, right? Uh, religious holidays, national holidays. Um, but one of the things they missed, uh, I don't know if every religion, every holiday, but one of the things they missed, um, perhaps because they didn't have to do it once the idea was around, it was more, it was more easy to follow even without matzah, um, is to find a food that's connected to the actual thing you're celebrating, right? For example, Thanksgiving, I, I don't know if there was a banquet with the turkey or not, but, um, you know, it, it, I would imagine that most people eating turkey in the United States on Thanksgiving really don't see any connection between that day and what they're eating. Or those of you who've been in Israel long enough uh, to know Yom Ha'atzma'ut, right? What do we people eat on Yom Ha'atzma'ut? Anybody know? No, uh -oh, you haven't been here long enough, sorry. Barbecue, there you go. Who's that it? Yeah, excellent, barbecue, right. Barbecue meat. What does that have to do with Israeli independence? Presumably nothing at all, right? Yeah, it's a summer holiday. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like July, 4th of July, similar thing, yeah. So it has nothing to do with it, and Pesach, right, because the first has to make it make sense. The food is the way that Jews are going to be motivated to not just celebrate it because God told them, but more importantly, to connect the memory with their lives now, to make it something living, right, to understand, wow, this is what our ancestors actually ate at that time. Okay, and there's two things going on here. Number one, um, the tremendous importance of sensory experience in religious life, in life in general, but in religious life, and we've become uh, a book culture so that, you know, most Torah learning is out of books. Um, Whereas um, it's it's at least as important that Torah be experienced and lived, not just learned. Okay, um, so eating, right? Eating is a way to connect to Yitzhak Mitzrayim in a way that learning can't. Right? We say the opposite. 
things that you can do learning that you can't do experiencing. But um, if you think about it, you know, one of the things that ties us to things that we continue doing is experience. And here with matzah, you have a lot of senses involved, right? You have your taste, you have your, 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 um, your sight, um, the feel. If you have hard matzah, like most people do, so you can have sound with matzah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This idea of like, it's the food that they ate back then. Right. Why is like the idea that, oh, they had a rush out of Egypt and didn't have to rise. Okay. That, that's not true, right? So then like, where does, what is Matzah like here? And why do we Okay, good. So that's what I'm getting to next. Um, I think it is true, but it's not the only thing. Um, so if we need to speak about Yitzhak Mitzrayim in essence, Right, there's really two things that happened, um, both of which are critical and both of which are our presentations, at least. So we're not gonna um, go into depth, but essentially there's two primary things that we're remembering and reminding ourselves in, in on Pesach. One is called Galut and the other one is called Geulah. Galut is exile and Geulah is redemption. Okay, matzah happens to represent both because um, galut, at least galut Mitzrayim, was a galut uh, for perhaps in terms of intensity, not in terms of time, but in terms of intensity, was the most intense, the worst galut, where the Jews were um, uh, reduced. That's my word reduced to the bare minimum of human existence. That's also represented in food, right? The simplest food possible was what they were fed in order to keep slaves alive, right? I mean, I don't say Lahavdil, but we know from more recent history that the German concentration camps, although there, um, there was a more evil design that, that Jews were expendable so that um, even there, you know, the Nazis would scrimp on, on the food that they would give the Jews in the concentration camps, except for unless there were Jews who were particularly needed. In Egypt, all Jewish slaves were viewed as an asset, but only an economic asset. So you give them as little as possible, right, in order to maintain your assets, right? That's what matzah was from the Egyptian point of view, and we need to remember that as well, the notion of galut um, and what we can be reduced to, right? So sort of the negative side of matzah. And the positive side of matzah is gila, and the fact that the Jews did need to leave uh, in a hurry, and that therefore the Torah says that they didn't have time to let the dough ride, meaning ideally, right, matzah should not be eaten, right, on Pesach because we're celebrating our freedom. We're celebrating leaving all of that, right? We're, right, why do we, uh, what do you call it, recline? Are we trying to show that we are like kings? Good. We're like royalty. Royalty don't eat matzah, right? They eat nice loaves of fancy bread, right? But 
But the nature of Geulah is that um, there's a phrase, Shuat Hashem that salvation of God is um, like the blink of an eye. Meaning that it's an important aspect of Geulah is understanding how dependent it is on God, right? Um, that Geulah is really, and this is the central theme of Pesach, is seeing God in history, right? One of the big distractions in seeing God in history is when things develop, felt slowly, historically, scientifically, right? When Shuat Hashem Kehrafayim, no time for human breads and things like that, get out of here. Hashem is getting you out right now. That uh, reduces the notion of, of Geulah, of redemption, to its essence. So the central experience of eating matzah, right, using various senses to eat this bread, which our ancestors ate, that were intimately and importantly connected to the two major ideas of Pesach, is a tremendous strategy in getting us to connect to reliving that experience, which is the whole point of what the Torah is trying to do here. Your question? Yeah. yeah. Can you repeat the idea of Geula? Yeah. So Geula, um, so, so Mata, we said, um, is that the Jews didn't have time to uh, leaven the dough upon, get, upon leaving Egypt. They needed to have bread. As the idea was to have real bread, we're free. We have all the time in the world. God says, no, go right now. No time for all of this. Just cook the bread the way it used to be as slaves and move out. Um, the idea being that God's in charge of Geula. Geula is all about letting God take over and you know, choosing us and helping us when he feels that it is appropriate. So on some level, Geula is a celebration, not of ourselves, celebration of God. Galut is about us, Geula is about God. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's what I would say is the central piece of, of the Zikaron strategy of Pesach. There are other parts to it, but clearly the Torah deems them less important. Maror, Sipor Yetziat Mitzrayim, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, Korban, Korban Pesach, all of these things are in order to create this, to relive the experience by way of experiences. The Torah really has to buckle down in order to get the Jews to go with it. So yeah, we're going to do that. We're, you know, and, and to let it internalize. And the fact is that Pesach is by far the most celebrated Jewish holiday, right? So the Torah knew what it was doing when it uh, created the strategy for us to um, have a zikaron on Pesach in this fashion. Okay. Um, Pesach is Particularly important, I'm not going to uh, belabor this, there's a lot of discussion about it, maybe some of the other shurim, um, is more central to the Jewish nation than any other holiday uh, on some level. And therefore, it requires particular 
emphasis I mentioned before, the tefillin also is Zecher Leitziyat Mitzrayim. Many things are Zecher Leitziyat Mitzrayim uh, for various reasons, especially the reason the Ramban mentions in a couple places that that is the source of our faith. In disagreement with the Rambam, but that's a, a, another, another story and another shiur. Okay. Um, so now I want to focus out a little bit. I'm sort of done with matzah and even with Pesach and go back to this model of what the Torah just did and try to appreciate that we should be doing something similar, right? Um, the Torah, like any history book, I'm not saying the Torah is a history book, it's not, but it is a historical book, relates to historical events. So I don't know any of you remember your world history books or your American history books. So at the beginning, um, or whatever other countries people are from, um, at the beginning, there's sort of like a, a short summary of everything that happened before, right? Like thousand years of history and like a couple pages. And then, you know, then it starts slowing down and then it really slows down, right? So what, you know, as someone from Mars would think, wow, history slowed down, right? It's like the time slowed down at a certain period in time, but it's not. It's the selectivity of the writer, right? And the selectivity is okay because in the case of American history, for example, so it's not really American history um, technically until independence of the United States, or if one wants to go back a little bit, um, the discovery of, of uh, the Americas, so-called discovery by uh, Columbus and, and, and others is not so critical, not so important, certainly the whole period from the first explorers to when the British set of colonies is not that critical, not that important for American history. So if you're writing a book about American history, you can summarize certain things that are less important. It makes sense to do that. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the Shior, that is the way humans in, uh, integrate information. There's nothing wrong with that. To integrate information by focusing on certain things that we deem to be important, and important is, can be different in certain situations, like you're speaking to your, to your child, you might stress some things when you're speaking to your parent, you might stress other things, right? Um, but the bottom line is what do we tell ourselves about our own lives, right? How do we explain our lives to ourselves? Um, given that, you know, when you think about it, you know, we experience so many, so many things, even in the course of one day, right? In the course of, of uh, you know, even leaving out the sleep and the dreams that we have just in the waking day, right? The, if, if I were to record every thought, um, every sight that, you know, if I were to record everything that transpassed uh, during the course of the day, that would probably take the rest of my life. If you think about it, right? To record it in, 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 in script writing, and even in speech, right? To describe every, I mean, you would, you would, <laughs> You would have to stop at a certain point to report everything, but um, it's endless. Um, so therefore, there's a great there's a great scene in uh, a book which, by now, I don't know if anybody's heard of, called um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Right? I these cult books, whatever. It's an interesting book. Um, but one of the things that he notices is that 
if you were to focus on everything in your field of vision, you would go crazy. Right? Similar idea, similar idea to we need to filter things. That's simply the nature of reality. Um, so we need to, to, to filter our memories as well, decide what is worth keeping in our story, our personal story, and what's worth discarding because you can't remember everything. Um, so what are those things that I'm gonna want to keep and what are those things I want to discard? Yeah, obviously this is also a longer talk, but I'll just give you one approach to this um, as a good example. Um, Rachel Volga, who some of you might've heard of. Uh, anybody? No? So, okay. Sorry, what? Okay, yeah, good. Thank Rabbi Sharon also, you, I don't know if you now used to have a class in Volga. Volga uh, was probably the leading teacher of Musar, Musar, in the previous generation. He died 15 years ago, I don't know exactly when. Um, but a very thoughtful individual as befit someone involved in, in Musar. Um, but he had a certain, like, there are various schools of Musa, right? His, uh, his approach was named after the yeshiva that actually, I don't recall, actually, yeah, he did go to the yeshiva in Europe. Um, the yeshiva called Slobodka. Slobodka's approach was to emphasize the Gadlut Adam. Gadlut Adam means the greatness of man. So Revolva's approach is like, uh, you know, sort of the, the stereotype of, of Musa is that you have to put yourself down, you're constantly criticizing yourself, right? So um, that's not what Slobodka would do. Slobodka would, would first, and this is what Revolve emphasizes, first you have to build yourself up. First you have to convince yourself how great you are, right? Um, right you, you all know the story about the worm, the issue and the worm? No. Right? You know, okay, so it's not all. All of that. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a joke about Musa Yeshiva, uh, where everybody's sitting around um, during Musa Seder. I mean, learning Musa texts in Havrusa or by themselves. And uh, a new guy comes into Yeshiva, and uh, everybody's pouring over the books. And they're all saying the same thing I'm such a worm, I'm a nothing. And so he comes in, doesn't think much of it opens a safe and uh, you know people are starting to really get into it about how they're worms they're nothing and uh, so that says well you know when you're in Rome do as the Romans I may as well you know it seems weird but let's try it so so he starts and first he's a little shy worm a worm and then he's you know I see everybody he's trying to get into it he's trying to yell out that worm and finally the guys in front of him stamp on the table and say who do you think you are? You just got here. You can't be a worm, right? So, so there's that stereotype of uh, Musar, but it's not the only, and the, the Vardic, for example, is, is, the, is the school of thought, the yeshiva that's associated with that type of Musar, where, where it's really to um, destroy a person's ego in order to nullify the, that sense of, of ego. Uh, for example, you know, they would send people into town to make fools of themselves to go to storekeepers and ask for the wrong thing, like to go to a bakery and ask for a wrench, 
right? Or and go to a to a hardware store and ask for a bagel, right? In other words, to make themselves look like fools. That was that's Navardi. It was very extreme, right? That wasn't the major school of Musa. The major school Sabadka uh, is more along the, the mainstream. Revolva is from that school. And he says, first, you have to build yourself up, right? You're not going to go anywhere, according to that approach, if you think you're a nothing and worthless, right? Navardi says otherwise. But anyways, Revolva says no. First, build, and, and I think it's much more healthy. Yeah, I think certainly for those of us who coming from more Western background, um, it's more natural and it's more healthy to first uh, focus on those thoughts and memories and experiences that build ourselves to uh, the point that we realize our potential, because we all have tremendous potential. Um, it seems to me that women more than men are underestimating their potential, are, are more self-critical. That's just my own personal observation. It may not be universally true, but um, I think, yeah. No, yeah, they're less, they are uh, less critical of themselves. Yeah, I know. Okay, you know, you know, you, you know some good men. Most men I know are, are sort of, right. uh, yeah, yeah. That's my observation. It's not important. What? Move, women criticize themselves more than men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're, <laughs> too many no's, too many negatives. Okay, we're, we're on the same table. Excellent. Okay, I was wondering if I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> anyway, good. Okay, so that's clear. Let me straighten that out. <laughs> right. So, so, um, so um, in any case, the the Musa year is particularly appropriate for if you if you recognize that as part of the baggage of being a woman mm -hmm. of being self-critical. So all the more so do you have to work on that first part of Musa, which mm -hmm. is to build yourself up and to say, you know, I'm great and look at X, Y, and Z. Could you look at A, B, and C? You could, but everybody's got A, B, C, and X, Y, and Z. So you have to choose. You have to choose what you're gonna select just like the Torah selected. It could have selected all sorts of things. It's like, no, we need to look at what's gonna move us forward. What's gonna move us forward? Celebration of Pesach. How's it gonna, how are we gonna get to that? By remembering this aspect, the bread, Right? What about the fact that they lashed us? Fine, they lashed us, but I don't want to, that's just going to get in the way. So let's forget about the lashes. Think about the bread. Um, and so, too, in our own lives, we have to say, what's going to get me to where I want to go? Once you're there, Revolva says, then you can critique yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? But don't do it before you're ready. All right? And first, you have to be worthy of criticism. Right? Um, I remember someone telling me that I'm, I, I'm not great enough to be so humble, right? Uh, you, ha you have to reach a certain level to uh, before it before it works, right? That um, that's what Revolva says. That yes, it, it's not. We're not just trying to be uh, Pollyannas that just say you know um, everything is good, life is good, I'm great, and let's move on. That's not Judaism either. But in order to do Judaism and the, the self-critique that comes with it um, and trying to improve ourselves, right? First, you have to establish that you're worthy of that. You have to establish that to yourself. That's so important 
and so valuable. So I think that is one of the important lessons of this section in Kumash, where the Torah is relentlessly collective of what it wants us to remember and says, okay, guys, I'm, I know we're in the middle of the story, but I want you to remember this thing. I want you to do this thing. Matzah. And in order for you to remember matzah, I want you to also like create this really radical prohibition of homemade. And it's going to, you know, it's not going to make sense to you because you're not going to find it elsewhere. We're going to have karet about it. Um, we're going to be very, very stringent. That's why, um, as you may have already noticed, people go crazy about this holiday in terms of kashrut, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that on Pesach, we, we, we give people the blessing of have kasher v'samach, which we don't give any other time, because of the issue of hametz, which, as I said, is, is, a, is a unique phenomenon um, that we only have with Pesa. Okay, um, any questions? Yeah, go ahead. From what you just said, like why we have the halakha mixed in with the narrative. Um, I guess I'm a little confused about for why like the repetition. Right, right. So repetition is, is one of the tools the Torah uses to also get our attention. Well, emphasis meaning stop and notice. I mean, each, when we go into the Nefarshim, each specific repetition may mean some, something specific, but beyond that, yes, it's creating this, this tone that I'm, I'm speaking about. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, like I said, if anybody wants to get this in print, and it's even better in print than a speech, um, I have books, uh, which I'm selling for 30 shekels a piece uh, on Sefer Shmot. And because the beginning of Shaykh of the Vikra, I also brought a few copies of Shaykh of the Vikra. And thank you for your time, and we'll see you next month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.